This is Big Girl Pants Podcast, where we talk about women, health, power, and wealth. Hosted by April Melton and Kimberly Shapiro. We are real women with real jobs doing real life. Join us while we showcase inspirational stories and inspirational people. Come on, y'all. Put your big girl pants on and stay Stay tuned. Five, four, three, two, one. Hi. Hey. Welcome back. Uh, Yeah. So this time we have a guest and it's so exciting. We cannot wait to tell you guys what this is about. Oh my God, I'm so pumped. So um, actually the gentleman who uh, we rent this studio space from, who runs the studio here, Keith, um, he called me one day and he said, hey. Oh, this is the introduction. I I didn't make that connection. Yeah. Okay. So he said, hey, I'm recording an audiobook for someone right now, and I think he would be a really great guest on your podcast. I was like, shoot, what's up? And he said he's writing a book, or he wrote a book about birth control and the effects on women's bodies and birth control. And I was like, oh, my God, I am so down. And he had he had no idea at the time, but um, Matt and I, my husband, um, have been trying to get pregnant since last November. And I've had two children previously, but this this time between my last child and now is the only time in my life I've ever been on birth control. So, um, we're experiencing some, I don't want to say infertility, but we're, it's been challenging to get pregnant. Um, and I was like, Oh my God, how perfect. Cause I'm the Guinea pig on the podcast. So we always use my life as an example of everything, you know, all the shit shows. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, when he told me that I was like, absolutely. I would love to talk about this because I don't think, in America, in the United States, we know enough about our bodies to know when we can and can't get pregnant, right? When we ovulate, what our cycles look like. We're not educated about it not at, at all, all. Right? We, right? Everybody just treats women's periods like we're just going to brush it under the table, whatever. So I was like, I, number one, yes. Number two, our listeners would absolutely just eat this up. And I've always, I told you this on the phone too after we spoke, I've always been kind of a contrarian, like I go against the grain um, and I have never thought that birth control was something that you should have, you should be on for an extended period of time. You know, some girls have been on it for 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, whatever, um, by the time they try to get to have children and then they're like, well, why can't I get pregnant? So... Your name is Mike, Mike Gaskins, and you wrote the book In the Name of the Pill. Um, and this is for everyone who's listening. I'm just going to cover up my I'm buying the book quick. in case anybody wonders Shapiro's what I'm right. doing <laughs> like right now. <laughs> and it's so funny that I'm the one who read it because Shapiro is the one that has a library at her house. And she not only reads physical books, but she also listens to audiobooks. At and the same she's time. Like, what, do you, what do you call that? She's like, just like the most scholastically... Uh, I would just say I'm a voracious person. reader. Voracious. Um, so, but I am going to read the back um, and just so that people who are listening can kind of get a little bit of a feel for what the book is about and then we'll really dive into it. Sounds great. Um, birth control pills are dangerous and the public has not been given all the facts about them. Edmund Kasuf, medical doctor. It's staggering that for a drug that is being used by 80% of women, there is so little information about the long-term safety. That is really incredible. Ernst Reitschiel, medical doctor. 50 years passed between the time Dr. Kasuf and Dr. Reitschiel expressed their concerns for hormonal, about hormonal birth, birth control. The decades between... The, 
The decades between saw the pill linked to ailments as diverse as breast cancer, lupus, thyroid disease, blood clots, infertility, diabetes, suicide, multiple sclerosis, Crohn's disease, migraine, stroke, heart disease, and hair loss. This book examines the powerful forces that came together to give us birth control before it was proven safe, exposes the deceptive tactics used to keep us in the dark, and explores the numerous chronic and deadly ways women's health has been sacrificed in the name of the pill. All right. And your name, so Mike Gaskins, so tell us a little bit about you, your background, where you come from, um, and then what drove you to write a book like this. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, so I'm I'm a media writer, producer, okay. uh, as, as my background, I do a lot of video work. Um, and yeah, it's funny, because you think about... You think about the book and the subject matter and you think about my bio. Just the cover. Yeah. Like I would pick this up and be like, oh, girl wrote this. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And and it's funny because the bio, my bio doesn't fit. You know, I'm a writer producer. Which also gives you more of an edge. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that. And, and so that's the thing. But also, it was it was one of the biggest hurdles for me because as I as I started getting into this, that was one of the things I kept telling myself was like, okay, you're not a medical professional and you're not a girl. So, <laughs> what business do you have talking about? Who this? are you and why are you talking about? Right. This? Exactly. And but it was all self imposed. Right. You know, I was the one stopping myself, and and I just assumed people would feel the same way, um, but. So you okay? I'll I'll start how I got interested in it. So if you go back to my backstory, when when my wife and I were young and we were dating, um, she went to the doctor for something. I can't even recall what it was, but uh, they started talking about our relationship, and the doctor put her on the pill. Um, and for us, it was great because we hated condoms, and it was like, oh, this is a perfect solution. Yeah. And of course, neither of us really thought about questioning the safety because it's been on the market for decades. Right. Um, so. I think it was second, third month, something like that. I was with her when she opened up the package and the little pamphlet fell out on the floor. And I opened it up and I started looking at it. I was like, oh, my gosh, did the doctor talk about all these side effects with you? And she was like, what side effects? You know, <laughs> it's this kind of thing. And I was looking through and because of her family history, I was like, I'm, I'm really concerned about this. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, we talked about it. And I was like, okay, look, I, I can't tell you what to do. But if this means we have one less day together at the end of our lives, it's not worth it for me. And she was just, you could see the relief wash over her face. She was oh. like, oh, my gosh, I'm so, you know, she's, I haven't felt like myself since I started taking these. And, uh, it, you know, so it was like, all right, let's not do it. It's yeah. not worth it. Yeah. So then that's it. Why does this, you know, the discussion ends there. You right. know, you, you don't think about, I, I didn't think about my sisters. I didn't think sure. about anybody else in my family. Sure. I had resolved, you know, and, and even as a man, you think, you know, is it even my place to discuss this with my wife? Right. You know, it's, it's her decision. It's her body and all that. So even that's, you know, that's that's what society has taught us. Even that's uncomfortable, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, everything's so, uncomfortable <clears throat> in America. We can't talk about it <laughs> right, 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 Are right, you right, kidding? Uh, yeah. That's very yeah. true. Uh, so, so, you know, several years passed, probably decades. And I was working on a show. For, it was a medical conference uh, on autoimmune diseases. And the keynote speaker on the first night was Dr. Noel Rose from Johns Hopkins University. Uh, and he's he's called the father of autoimmune disease. He gave it the name autoimmune disease. He was studying Hashimoto's, thyroiditis, mm-hmm. and rabbits in the late 50s and came up with this idea of the body's immune system attacking itself. Right. Um, I'm sorry. If, if Is I'm that going the Epstein-Barr 
is it, does it have something to do with Epstein Barr? Do you well, know what that is? Epstein okay. Barr is is an autoimmune disease. Well, it says, so, I was just looking through because I was trying to find the right chapter, but it's chapter sixteen, an introduction to autoimmune disease, and that kind of starts your chapters on different autoimmune or disorders. Right, okay. right, right. And so that's where my interest really took off because oh, okay. as, as he was talking, so he was he was covering kind of broad strokes of autoimmunity for all, all these doctors who were there for continue continuing medical education, and he said. We've known from the beginning estrogen plays a key role in autoimmune diseases because of the role it plays in a woman's immune system. And, and then he described how we have these T cells, right, that are like the soldiers of the immune system. Right. And our natural estrogen attaches to the receptors on these cells. And so now the soldier is armed and it has its marching orders. Right. But when chemicals get in our body and mimic natural estrogen, they attach to those same receptors. And so now the soldier is armed. But it doesn't know what to attack yeah. because it's not your natural estrogen. So it, it's, uh, it just starts attacking whatever. And, and a lot of times that becomes healthy tissue, you know, in your body and it'll attack and it, it precipitates into a, an autoimmune disease. So as he's – I didn't know about endocrine disruptors at the time. So as he's talking about that, I thought, well, what, what mimics natural estrogen? He has to be talking about birth control. Right. And so I Google, you know, rise of autoimmune diseases and I see since like the early 70s all these – diseases have taken off. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, why why don't we hear more about this? Because I, I I assumed this was well known in the medical community. So what really knocked my socks off was after it was over, I went up to talk to him and I I said, so you know exactly how, you know, what role does birth control play in all this? And he said, oh, none at all. And I was I was baffled. You're like, skirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like, exactly. Wait, no. how is that true? <laughs> right. It's like that that's counterintuitive based on everything you've just said. And he right. said, no, there, there's never been any evidence linking it to birth control. And I was like, wow, okay. Uh, I, I believed him. He's mm-hmm. he's the father of autoimmune disease. Um, but I was still it's like this doesn't make sense. So I, I got back to my hotel room that night and I Googled, I just picked lupus. I Googled lupus plus oral contraceptives. And I found an article on a new study that showed that women who take birth control are 50% more likely to develop lupus. And I thought, wow, you know, okay, it's it's pretty new study. Maybe Dr. Rose doesn't know about it. I'm going to look for him tomorrow at the conference yeah. and tell him about it. But then I get halfway through the article and there's a quote from him saying this doesn't mean women should stop taking birth control. And so I was I was angry, you know, and and looking back on it now, I realized I was probably going through what a lot of women go through with, yeah. with feeling like being gaslighted. You know, it's like, all right, he was lying to me. Why? What, what motivation would he have to lie to me about? You know, and going through all those what, what's going on here kind of things. Yeah. Well, and is he lying or does he just not believe it? You know what I mean? Right. Well, and that's the thing. And and I think in the book I said trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. It's like, okay, maybe maybe he thought I was a simpleton and it was easier just to say, no, there's never been any proof. Sure. But at the same time, you know, you flat out told me there had never been any connection. Right. You know, and and there's a quote from you in this article. So I know and you know like, about the connection. And you're like, how can you consciously say and combat that something with those statistics, fifty percent of women yeah. who take oral contraceptives are more are more likely to get lupus, or right. women who right. have lupus, fifty percent of them took birth control. Right, and right. you're not doing a study on that. Right, like R- why not? R- that's but you're the father. Awesome you're, like, you're, the that's father the you're the father of autoimmune yeah. disease. Like what? Right. So there's contributing right. factors. You're not investigating those contributing factors? Right. And, oh, okay. and it's not just lupus. You know, as you start digging into other autoimmune diseases, Crohn's, you see it, right. everything. Right. Yeah. Um, Hashimoto's. So, yeah. Hypo- hypothyroidism. So many. Right. Yeah. And, be- and, and because 
we're constantly told, you know, that there's no connection. And even, you know, one of the things I'll still hear a lot of time from from women who who clearly uh, just the timing and everything, you, you have to at least take into consideration that, OK, maybe the birth control did have something to do with me developing this autoimmune disease. But then women will go to their doctor and the doctor says, well, no, you know, autoimmunity is, is genetic. Yeah. So it wasn't caused by your pill. It's like, OK, they're not mutually exclusive. Right. You, it is, you know, autoimmune diseases are genetic. Right. You, you know, you do need to be genetically predisposed. But your predisposition causation is, doesn't always equal right, correlation. Exactly. Like correlation right. doesn't equal causation. And, and even one of the things Dr. Rose made very clear in, in that night I heard him speak was that yes, it's genetic, but it's environmental triggers that are key yes. to initiating this. I mean, what do you say? Like ninety percent of illnesses are environmentally like th- that diet has, and environment, diet, environment, lifestyle, right. etc. Yeah, yes. like, yeah, yeah, I would say yeah, so. You could even say, yeah, you could say breast cancer is genetic, right? You know, because family history plays oh, a, a no, big role, right? Yeah, <laughs> I got a big stank eye towards that. But, well, but, I think but, that but, I think that the percentage that you will get it that you will get breast cancer based on genetics alone is very, very small. Again, lifestyle choices, diet. Absolutely agree. Yeah. But if you wanted to, if you wanted to discount the possibility of birth control playing a role, you could say, well, it's more genetics or, Mm -hmm. or other environmental factors, which tends to be the case. Yeah. And also lines pockets of some very, so here's a quick little companies. story, yes. not not exactly around birth control, but autoimmune. So when I was 20 years old, I think you know this, I was diagnosed with uh, rheumatoid arthritis. And my diet was, you know, consisted of back in the day when I was, you know, poor, mac and cheese, uh, ramen noodles, you know, you name it, whatever I could afford to eat, right? right. Um, hot dogs chopped up in my mac and cheese, you know, because that mm. was super, yeah. Oh, and Beanie I, weenies, I delicious. loved, I always say I had a Coke addiction, huh? Um, <laughs> Coke, like Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Um, I mean, I was addicted to Coke, I, Coca-Cola, um, and my diet was just atrocious. It was horrible. And then, so I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and I was told that it would be a challenge for me to not be heavily medicated and possibly even um, in a wheelchair by the time I was in my 40s. It was that aggressive and that bad. So I started doing research um, and started, and I changed my diet. I'd say by the time I was 23, I was pretty adamant, maybe 24, where I was super clean eater. I got healthy. I stopped drinking Coke. I didn't, you know, very, very healthy. By the time I was 32, when I went to, um, it took some years, but by the time I was 32 and I went to my rheumatologist, he's like, I don't need to see you anymore. And I haven't, I'm wow, that's 40, crazy. 45 now, and I have never had an issue. I've not been medicated. I've not needed, I was back in when I was 20, right. um, but I haven't needed any sort of assistance. Uh, fast forward, I had a hysterectomy two years ago and I was 43. I was a little bit nervous that, oh crap, what does that mean for me from a hormone perspective? I'm Right. so young and I, I don't agree with hormone replacement. So a synthetic hormone replacement. And so I was like, God, what does that mean? I'm so scared. So I did a lot of research and uh, learned again about this is when I stopped using um, regular makeup and I stopped burning candles in my house and I stopped using deodorant, cl- deodorant, um, cleaning. I've used deodorant, I just all natural, but every single thing that I use in my home or put on my body or clean with is natural. Yeah. Um, just because of the impact of these environmental factors. And you can't obviously eliminate 
all of it, um, just walking outside or living in your home, you're yeah. going to be exposed. But I think just reducing, so it's coupled with, it's it's along the same lines, but just not birth control. Yeah, it's absolutely along the same lines. And I've, I've had that conversation with many women because surprisingly, you know, there are a lot of women that'll, you know, they'll, they're looking at the, the labels to see what's in things and yeah. they're avoiding hormones in their meat and, and yeah. this and that and and trying to reduce their hormonal impact, but then they're taking birth control yeah. every day. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, you know, think about what you're you're doing. Straight These are shot. very potent. Yeah. Did you know that's exactly. what my doctor wanted me to do was to go on birth control before I had my hysterectomy. Right. He's like, well, we need to put you on birth control. I'm like, I am not putting that in my body at the age, not that anybody should, but at the age of 43, right. definitely don't need that. Yeah. So That's another, you know, doctors do that all the time. They, women who, young women who, who come in and express this, this fear of, oh, I heard that, you know, these risks are, you know, you know, I, I, you know, the chance of this, this or this risk or whatever. And the doctors constantly tell them, well, as long as you're under 35 and you don't smoke, then you're fine. Yeah. yeah. But then they go to women who are over 35 and they say, well, here, let me put you on yeah. birth control. It's like, what happened to as long yeah. as you're under 35? You exactly. Don't have to, he was so quick to give me that prescription. And I'm like, I refuse to take it. Right. So we need a plan B. Yeah. And, right. But how, but a lot of women don't even know they're just going to do what their doctors tell them to do. And they're not going to do any research. Right. And that's, I think that's one of the big hangups. And, and that's why it's so devastating for women too, because when women go in and they're telling their doctor, you know, hey, I started noticing these symptoms and the doctor's saying, well, I've never seen that before or oh, it couldn't be your birth control or just give your body it's time to adjust. definitely got to be something else. Yeah. Right. But we have this kind of thing where, I mean, what other product do you have where you're so reliant on someone outside of you making that decision for you mm-hmm. and you just do it? You're... You know, the the purchaser and, and, and the decision maker are two different, I mean, right. or, you know, the, the person who's taking it and the decision maker are two different people. Yeah. But the doctor really isn't sacrificing anything. Mm-hmm. You know, they, if the consequence is good or bad, you're the one who's going to have to live with them. Yeah. But we put this complete trust in the doctors and there's this... Who we see for about 30 seconds. Mind yeah. You. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And there's this complete disconnect. And, and, you know, so many doctors nowadays don't even take the Hippocratic Oath. You know, most people don't know that. You assume the doctor has taken an oath to first do no harm. Do no harm. But many doctors don't take the oath anymore. So, and, and I'm not saying they're intentionally trying to cause harm, but there's, you know, again, it's kind of this disconnect gray area. But I'm sorry. I also believe that just because you take an oath doesn't mean you honor an oath. That's true. Forever. So, right. Right. And I mean, even with, even going in with the best intentions, right. mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that people can't be persuaded by other other outlets. Right. Or influences. Or, or, you know, I have a quote in the book from Upton Sinclair who said, it's hard to get a man to see something when his salary depends on his not seeing it. Yes. You know, I I had an OBGYN tell me that the reason it's so hard for for doctors in her specialty to say anything bad about birth control is because it represents about a third of their business. It's it's hard to see something bad when you, it's you know, so you, funny that you say that because there's a there's a lady that I follow on Instagram and her handle is Doctor Fit and Fabulous, and she's an obstetrician and gynecologist and she is a very large advocate of like the keto diet and being very mindful of what you eat and taking care of your hormones via diet. And I sent her this book and I sent her like a bunch of excerpts from the book. She was like, yeah, the sad thing is that people just don't know. She's like, this information is not new, Mm -hmm. but anybody who touts this or spreads this risks losing their license, right? Right. To practice medicine. Number one. Number two, like discussing this with women impacts their business so largely that they're not incentivized to do it. I mean, why would they? 
And then it goes, then I want to beg or beg the question, well, why are you in this industry in the first place? Was it money or was it to help people? But it's like, I think that, I don't think any doctor, I mean, of course the financial motivation is there, right? If I go to medical school, which is an investment. Sure. Nine to 15 years of your life. Sure. Including residency, et cetera. Goes in to say, yes, I'm going to have a nice life because I'm going to make money, but I'm also going to help people. Mm-hmm. Like there are some doctors who go in and say, I'm vicious and I don't care. I just want to prescribe medications and get some kickbacks from the big pharmaceutical companies. You know what I mean? Like I want a yacht. Right. So I'm going to go in and me and GSK are going to be best friends. <laughs> I don't think that's what they do, but yeah. I think that once they see that and they get a taste of it, it's very hard to go back mm-hmm. from that. Right. Or when you see, it's kind of like, um, which I want to get to this too, and I don't know how you feel about it, but if you don't feel comfortable talking about it, it's fine. It's kind of like the whole COVID thing. Like, so many doctors are going along with Fauci and what he's saying because they don't want to rock the boat or they don't want to go against what's mainstream, right? Mm-hmm. But then right. you have the outliers who are like, absolutely not. This is not true. This is not what's going on at all. This has been my you know, my livelihood for my life. This is something that I spent my the entirety of my career studying and what they're saying is absolutely incorrect. Yeah, and some of them are losing their licenses. And being, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, at what what is the risk there? Mm-hmm. And pharmaceutical companies have a lot of money and a, a lot, lot of power yeah. and a lot of yeah. lawyers. And, like, and and they've been working on this game plan for decades, so mm-hmm. they've got it down. Exactly. Yeah, I, yeah, I, saw, I saw an article... Uh, I guess it was sometime late last year. It was something like uh, 10 pariahs in the medical field to avoid during COVID or something like that. And they had these 10 doctors. And it was funny going through and reading their bios and how, you know, formerly highly respected doctors, such and such. It's like, so this doctor was really highly respected until he disagreed with you on COVID. He stopped playing your game. He stopped playing your game. Right. Oh, okay. So now he's not... We're just completely yeah. strip him of everything. Right. All validity. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's alarming. It's yeah. scary. But that's <laughs> alarm- but that also goes along with birth control. Yeah. Because it's- they're not incentivized to talk about what the effects are. Right. They're not incentivized to educate women on how impactful our cycles are and how much right. it controls of like everything. I've noticed like even just being more mindful after reading this book, but I've noticed the changes in my body and reading more about our periods and how we're affected by so many different things by our cycle. I mean, it's like a game changer. And if more women were educated on what their cycle was and how infrequent you can actually get pregnant during the month. Cause I mean, if you think about it, like I'm taking birth control because I don't want to get pregnant because I'm not ready or I'm not at the time where I want to get pregnant or my gynecologist tells tells me to take birth control for my skin or regulate my hormones or not have a period, which is great, right? Like, let's be real. No woman wants to bleed for three to seven days a month. Nobody wants that. Right. That's it's so inconvenient. No, nobody no. wants that. No. When they offered me a hysterectomy, I'm like, sign me up. <laughs> Sold. I'm done. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to deal with tampons or pads or cups right. or whatever, right? Like, none of us. Right. But- the side effects from birth control, and I can say this now because I had the Mirena, which is a five-year IUD, um, re- removed last November, and the shift in acne, in weight, in weight, I lost weight after I took out my IUD, and this is after I've lost 60 pounds with the IUD, so it was like those 20 pounds that were still hanging on from the hormones, 
um, the acne, the mood changes, the mood swings. So it got better once you removed it? Oh my gosh. Worse. Better. Okay. But uh, the mood swings and from like, I would say probably the withdrawals of hormones from removing it were insane. Because birth control is like a common go-to for doctors and teenagers, not for birth control, but for acne. Right. Acne. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like a common prescription yeah. for that. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. And there, there are so many things that makes my make my brain want to explode. But, <laughs> but it, it, going back through, I, I thought of like 10 different things while you were saying that. Bring it but, on. Um, the... Um, yeah, I, so I started this birth control group on on Facebook that we're we're just shy of four thousand members now. But what's it called? I want to uh, join it. Straight talk about birth control. Great, I'm gonna find um, that right yeah, now. Yeah, find it. And um, so I've I've seen several women on there share pictures like before and after pictures with the IUD. It's like, oh my gosh, they I had blew no idea. No, no, they lost weight oh, after because, they took it out. After they right, took right. it out, right? Because you don't think about. I mean, one of the doctors really don't know exactly how the IUD works, but whether it's the copper IUD or or like Marina or whatever that has hormone in it, one of the key, I guess, mechanisms of the IUD is it, it basically activates your immune system. Mm-hmm. So it creates this infection in your uterus essentially where you have all these white blood cells that are you there. Know, start yeah. yeah so it, it makes a, an unpleasant environment for semen right so um which like probably changes the ph levels right in your cervix it, 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 so that the sperm can't live exactly. on top of like the copper iud is going plus, to kill the sperm right, right like on right. on site plus the infection plus the you know right. the white blood cells and everything will kill foreign invaders or whatever right. so so yeah but you're you know you've basically got this constant Im- immunity thing going on with your immune system down there and in your vagina and, right mm, and so <laughs> you know that that inflammation doesn't stay localized no. it, it affects your system right you know mm. so so a lot of women yeah they're amazed when they take it out and um and i got this like chin strap of acne <sighs> it was the worst when, when, when you, you had it, it. Or when, when you i had, had it, when you oh, had it. Okay. yes it was awful i, feel I could never make it go away so overwhelmed with guilt right now <laughs> um and we'll talk about that with my daughter but carrie right. i want to i don't want to you to lose your train of thought but i do want to jump back and talk this about is just her. education no guilt yeah, yeah well it's, it's i mean it's funny the iud is one of those things for me that's and that's part of why i'm doing the the audio book here in the same studio as well uh, i've had a lot of women tell me over the last couple of years that you know nobody reads anymore please make it available on audio <laughs> but but also like right after the book came out i had so many women contact i was blown away contacting, asking me, please write about these different LARCs, long-acting yeah. So IUDs, depot shot, um, the implants. Women were like, nobody's talking about these. Please write about these. Yeah. And so I've included a little more uh, on, on the audio version I'm oh, doing perfect. as well. Oh, perfect. I can't wait. Uh, but, but yeah, I... And, you know, I kind of fell into the same camp. It's, it's funny because I, when I think about my birth, my birth control journey, you know, it's like I, I really feel like I've gone along the same path a lot of women have yeah. gone along. You know, when the book came out, I was kind of under the assumption probably the copper IUD was the safest thing right. you could do. That's what that's where I was too. I thought so too. But then I was blown away by all these women saying, "No, no, join join this Facebook group and oh. and you start reading." Yeah, you start reading all of. It's like, oh, well, yeah, why didn't I even... We probably shouldn't even yeah. have said the name of the Facebook group because now I'm going to shut it down. Pharmaceutical <laughs> <laughs> companies are going to be like, no, you can't talk about that. Yeah, well, cancel culture, man. It, it, the reason I started it was because I had... Uh, I had written several articles, and I think it was before the book came out. I, I joined a couple of Facebook groups just trying to see what kinds of things women were yeah, experiencing. So, so I, and I didn't ask you this before, but when did that start? When did you go to that conference where you heard him speak? That, I believe it was 2015. Oh, okay. So so six years ago. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. So can I ask a question real quick? Sure. So 
you kind of alluded to this earlier when you said your wife was put on birth control. Mm-hmm. You read the pamphlet. You're like, holy crap. Did you even know about all these side effects? And that kind of started the journey. I mean, was it really just that? I mean, that had that- to be a long time ago. Uh- yeah, I mean that. Yeah, do you well, have daughters? it was a long, I mean, like, was was a long there... time ago. I didn't have daughters at the time. I have daughters now, okay. so obviously the, the the fight is even more important sure. to me. Uh, but you know, no, it, for me that was just that was just me and her. That was like our, I mean, most let's people don't just pick up a torch this. like that and and run with it. Right, right. But see, uh, but he you didn't because how I, long I ago was yeah, that? That was yeah. uh, probably 25? 20, 20, 25 years. Okay, past exactly. That's just things. where it sparked. Okay. Well, I see. I didn't even spark. Okay. That was that, it was just that was a conversation between me and my wife, and I didn't really think about it again. Oh, okay, okay. And, and and talk about being consumed by guilt. It's like why didn't I think about this? And, right. And why? And and that's one of the arguments I make in the book. I, once you know this information, I think you're almost obligated. Definitely yes. your responsibilities change. You yes. need to tell, you know, I'm, I'm, and especially when you're dealing with autoimmune disease or breast cancer, you need to tell the other women in your family about yeah. it because especially if they're not on birth control yet, you know, you might be able to protect them from yes. whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's it's one of those things that really it wasn't to until uh, <laughs> my wife always talks about you know how how just I am almost to a fault. But it was that sense of justice when okay. I when I heard the doctor talking, and then when I figured out he had lied to me, it was and then like, denying okay, this yeah. is wrong. <laughs> yeah, this is wrong. Right. Yeah. So it was so that happened with your wife way back in the day, twenty five years ago, and right. then you went to that you were working the conference and you right. heard him say that, and then right. it just like the light gotcha. bulb went off. Okay. Right. And uh, before we get too far away from it, I want to go back to what we were talking about the doctors. Like, I I do think most doctors are sincere yeah. and they do want to help their patients. Yes. But I think one of the things that probably influences the way they react more, and and I don't think as highly of OBGYNs as I used to, but I want to give them a little bit of an out. And I feel like... One of the biggest things was probably the the Bay Dole Act in the eighties, yeah. which ch- changed the landscape. And for those people who are listening, you should expound on that a little bit, so yes. because if they don't know what it is, <clears throat> so so Bob Dole I was one know. of the co sponsors, and it it basically shifted the shifted the paradigm between like medical schools, research institutions, and drug companies. And basically put them in bed together. So after the Bay Dole Act, researchers at universities can profit. They can hold patents on drugs or, or things that lead to the development of drugs. And so they're, they're in bed with the pharmaceutical companies. So now they've got a profit-driven motive to... Pump out research pump, that pump makes... Pump out research, yeah, uh-huh. promote these drugs, right. not actually test them. Right. And, 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 and so, when you have a so massive conflict of interest like that... Right. How this is just a broad question. How do you trust the government? Like genuine question. Yeah, I, I don't our, know. Our our your our healthcare providers come from these medical schools who are then funded by pharmaceutical companies. Right. How do you what? The, yeah, the drug companies have so much influence over the FDA, the, any any federal agency, and now the the universities, the school, and then con- continuing med- medical education. You know, you go to a continuing medical education conference, it's going to be sponsored by all the drug companies that are making drugs They're for your specialty. They're literally going to have tables at the conferences yeah. giving away free samples of medications mm-hmm. that are new and right. newly FDA approved, right? right? Right. How much does it cost to get FDA approved? A lot of money. A quarter of a million dollars to to get a drug approved 
previously, probably 10 right. years ago. It's probably millions of dollars now, right. one to $2 million. How is that not a financial interest to right. get your drug yeah, approved? Well, but, but even in the early development, the, the, the NIH is doing most of the early development. So the, the drug companies really aren't spending as much money on, on you know, because that, that's one of the things they use as an excuse for why drug costs are so high. Well, right. we have all this R&D for drugs that never come to market. It's like you're not really investing in that. Okay, but what about all the commercials that we see of drugs that were FDA approved and they were released anyway and people yeah. started having extreme side effects and then they're right. having class action lawsuits. Right. The FDA knew that those drugs were going to have those side effects mm-hmm. and you still approved them. Yeah. And it's, it's all, you know, it's all actuarial. I mean, they're, they've got their accountants, you know, calculating, is it going to be worth it? One of the things I talk about in this, and this drives me crazy is, you know, like, again, breast cancer is one of the ones that will come up. And a lot of doctors will say, well, that was the first generation pills from 50 years ago. We don't have to worry about that now. It's saying, well, no, we do need to worry about it now. Yes. You can't just say, uh, no, that was old studies. Right. No. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, so like blood clots. So Yaz and Yasmin are two of the most popular brands today. How many well, times have you heard those on commercials? Oh, all Class the time, Class action lawsuits right? for yes. Yeah. So uh, blood clots, it, it, I think it was as of January 2016, they had paid out over $2.04 billion to settle ten, over 10,000 blood clot related lawsuits. But how much did they make? It must be enough to keep, worth keeping it on the exactly, market, right? yeah. You know, they paid out $2.04 billion. They probably made ten. And that's fourth generation newest pills. But it makes more sense for them to put these drugs out and to ha- handle the lawsuits on the back end than it would be to not approve this drug. Right, right. One one of the um, one of the fathers I, I I met whose whose daughter died uh, from taking birth control pointed out to me that several of the um, several of the pill manufacturers in their pamphlet say that one in twelve thousand will die from a blood clot which sounds like a small number. But if you take a conservative estimate of 15 million women in the United States taking these every day, exactly, that's not a small number anymore. It's not that's more, three women man. every day. It's over three women every day. Isn't it interesting, or is it just me, <laughs> <laughs> that this, that you, there are all these uh, millions of dollars spent in you know, keeping people quiet, pay them off, Make them go away. Yeah. Nobody does anything. The FDA doesn't get involved. The pharmaceutical it just keeps pumping this stuff out. Yet we shut our economy down. We force people to take vaccinations that are, and, and I'm not saying like, I listen, if, if people are advocates for it, I get it. But at the end of the day, my point is that the death rate for COVID is 0.008%, something like that. You have a 99 point whatever percent chance assuming you're under 80 years old, of surviving. Assuming you don't have four uh, comorbidities. Right. Underlying conditions. The government is all behind that and pumping it out and pushing it out and forcing it on people. Did you know that there were nine new billionaires created from this pandemic? Yeah, I did. Did you? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, it's infuriating. I'm listening to you talk about this. And I'm like, that's only representative of 50% of the population or 48 point whatever. I, is it, there's more men than women now or more women. I can't I remember. I, just, women I just saw the statistic recently, yeah. but let's just say 50% of the population that that's going to affect. Right. Right. And we don't hear anything about it. No. 
And they're also not talking about, again, education, right? Boosting your own immune system, things that you do, you can do for yourself, like going outside, getting plenty of vitamin D, vitamin C, taking ivermectin as a prophylactic, which they did, they've done a study in Mexico where 50% of the case study took ivermectin did not get COVID. The other 50% that did take ivermectin that did get COVID did not die. Right. So why? Well, it's why because, are we not talk about that? Because ivermectin costs pennies to make. And by the way, if you do talk about it, right, you will be canceled. Yes. Right. You'll be shut down. Or yeah, killed. And, and the same thing with the hydroxychloroquine. You know, it's like I was just going to say that. Part exactly. Of get, part of getting the the emergency use emergency use authorization was that can't there can't a, be another effective. You treatment can't have available. a medication that is effective, right. yeah. so that they could again pump these pharmaceutical companies so that they can make them billions of dollars. Right. To create a vaccine at the last minute. That's not FDA approved, which, I mean, I understand that the FDA for some people is like a soft warm blanket. It makes you feel good about yourself, but like they're in bed with these people. So I don't understand why right. it is that you ins- insist on that approval for a vaccine. But it's all money, man. It's all <laughs> yeah, money. money. Why would we, why would follow we, it, it, does not serve them to educate the citizens of the United States, whether it be birth control, COVID, vaccines, medications, diet, diet supplements. They're not going to educate us right? because educated people do not follow. Right. Educated people are not sheep. They start to think for themselves. Right. So why would they? Same with birth control. If your obstetrician is telling you as a mother, say, that it's safe for your 15-year-old to be on birth control and then she dies from a blood clot. Mm-hmm. It's not associated. It had nothing to do with it. Right. She just died. It was a travesty. Oh, so sad. You know what I mean? Like, why? Money. Exactly. We've established it. The root of all evil. I, so I'm looking at this part to the effect. Um, So everything that you've got listed here, you're saying. Yes. Yes. I was going to do that too. uh, Or that birth control causes these things. Is that what this means? It's, It's been associated with it. So it's been right. associated with, we'll use right. that word since it's safer. Um, we've been, it's been associated with migraines, associated with uh, blood clots, as we just established. Uh, diabetes, really? Yeah. Yeah. As causing? Yeah. Type 1, type 2? Uh, yeah. Which, uh, okay. You've, uh, type 1 is the autoimmune disease? Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah so type 1. Okay. Uh, birth, con- oh, breast cancer. But, we talked about that. Permanent right. sterilization. We'll come back and you can hit on some of these. Um, mm-hmm. Depression, mood disorders, um, audio, various autoimmune diseases, um, which I would include lupus, uh, MS, Crohn's, hair loss, thyroid, liver, and gallbladder issues. Um, yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, and in it's- the beginning of the book, um, and we can kind of like go through it, um, I wanted to either like just read the title of the chapter or whatever and go through it. But the biggest thing I think that I took away from it and the most, the thing that was the most um, relevant, especially right now is the studies that they were doing on women in Puerto Rico Yeah, where they, I don't remember how big the case study was, but like five women died and they didn't, they attempted to cover it up or pretend like it didn't happen and they weren't informing these people of what they were doing and why they were doing it. And they were basically saying that the women who were uh, getting pregnant, they weren't able to be financially responsible for their children. So they were just going to experiment on these people because they didn't matter. Right. right. Um, and the amount of effect that that had and then they killed these women because of a study. Right. And they didn't even inform them that they were performing a study. It's like those who don't know history are deemed to, are when, when was to repeat study? it. When was this done? 
Uh, oh, goodness. Uh, 60, 65, 64, okay. I think. I, yeah, I can't recall like... what year it was. But yeah, it was. And you, you had Catherine McCormick, who was the uh, international harvester heiress, who was helping fund uh, Dr. Pincus's research. And so this she... was uh, back by the deepest pockets in the United States. A group of doctors brought their magic pill to Puerto Rico in 1956. 56. Promising when it would keep them from having children they couldn't support. Right. However, the women weren't informed that they were actually participating in a trial f- for a powerful and under-researched drug, nor were they warned of a potential side effect. And five of them died. Five died. And it came out later, uh, Senator uh, Hubert Humphrey uh, con- held a, had a subcommittee in the Senate um, looking at ineptitude at the FDA. And one of the things they uncovered was that the Puerto Rico trial only included 132 women. That took the the medication the, for twelve months. Twelve consecutive months. Only a hundred and thirty-two and five died. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And uh, and Morton Mint said this is a scientific scandal. You know. And the funny thing was, is like just as as the the subcommittee started to gain traction, uh, Hoover was uh, Humphrey was selected as a, a vice presidential candidate. So the subcommittee died. Traction ended. And it just kind of went away. Yeah, um, we should but, sweep it under the rug. I was happen. like, we're not going to talk about that went away. <laughs> the we're drug, done. however, let's mass produce and pump out to as many teenagers as we possibly can. Yeah, right. Fine. And and it's just it's it's funny as you you know I when I started you know kind of going back in and getting ready for the audio book, I thought my you know the history part was kind of done for me, um, but then it was funny. Um, so. There was another book written called Sweetening the Pill that yes. inspired a, a documentary that Ricky Lake and Abby Epstein are, yep. are currently producing. So pumped for that. And Yeah, me too. And uh, so I, um, I I flew out to San Francisco and, and Abby interviewed me and uh, I'm going to be in the documentary. But Oh, that's the, so cool. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Well, I'm, and I'm, they revolutionized birth because they made the, um, the business of, business being, of born. being born. Right. Where, and like, it's so trendy now. Women going to birth centers and having right. their babies without drugs. And it's like, we've been giving, we've been empowered again to do what our bodies have been made to do. Right. And that's, it's, I mean, that, you'd be surprised by how many, the statistics behind women who are having birth center births and, and relying on their bodies to do what it was made to do from a documentary on Netflix. Yeah. So cool. imagine that, what this is going to do for birth control. I, yeah. I hope so. I certainly hope so. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited that they're working on it. I know they've been working on it for several years. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, Abby sent me, they hired the their archive producer, I think is the same producer who uh, Michael Moore uses. And so she started digging into this stuff and, and Abby emailed me uh, just this treasure trove of, of old articles and stuff they had found. And um, like the very first one I opened was a, an article from a, a feminist magazine called Off Our Backs, I think. Mm-hmm. And and it was an article talking about how poor women are being used to promote this drug. And, and like these these feminists were very anti-pill. And it's mm-hmm. like, wow, this is amazing to see considering how, you know, what we're sold right. on now being kind of the, the women's rights and, and, and how your you body, know, your choice. if you're against the pill, you're against women, yeah. you know. And um, so it was interesting to read that perspective. But then they mentioned – this trial for the birth control pill in the Appalachian Hills of Kentucky, which I was born in Kentucky. I was like, I never heard about this before. Yeah. 
And so started researching that. And so there's a new chapter in the audio book talking about this trial. But uh, again, it was the same kind of thing. They they were doing that right as they were uh, making the pitch to the FDA to try to get it approved. And again, another young, healthy woman who I think was in her early 20s, no, you know, no medical history at all, had a heart attack and died. But again, they just buried her with no autopsy and just said it wasn't caused by the It doesn't fit their bill. narrative. Right. Right. It's amazing that it they got support, away with this. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. support what it is that we're trying to do. It doesn't, right. it doesn't support what I'm trying to sell. Well, and right. it makes you curious, too, about the statistics and how valid they are. How many stories like that are there where there are deaths attributed to birth control that we don't even know about? Or other nobody, drugs that we don't even I know, know it's about. I know it's going to go there. <laughs> or that. But, um, well, and it's funny because yeah. I say that about the Facebook group, and I was joking but all jokes have some truth, right? Like there was a, and we keep going back and forth. I don't care, whatever, it's relevant. Um, There was a COVID group in Canada that discussed all the side effects of the COVID vaccine. Well, it was 200,000 people. It was a Facebook group. They deleted it. Right. Well, the next day there was 20,000 more people in a new Facebook group. Right. And it's the same, like, it's the same thing here. Like they can try to suppress the information people will talk. It's going to get out. Like yeah. you can try and cover it up and whatever. And I actually but had... But they're very successful in covering it up. They've been covering this up for decades. Well, th- yeah. Close it, to 100 years. Well, what... it's 70 years anyway. Ever well, long. And, but you have to think about it this way too. We didn't have social media 70 yeah, years ago. Right? We didn't have social media 30 years right. ago. We didn't have right. social media 20 years ago. What, what year is this? 2021? Okay. When did Facebook come out? 2005 or six? Yeah. So like... This is all new. Yeah, but they control it. We're strict. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing. It's like, we might not have had that back then, but what we also don't have, we still don't have. Suppression of information. Exactly. It's like you put something out there that they don't want you to put out there. There's a banner. Or they take it down. Take it down and you can't see it. Instagram took away my captions because I was talking about COVID vaccines. Dude, you got like, you have 20, (laughs) probably 20 hours, right? To get information out that's contrary or contradictory. Before they pull it down. Yes, before it's gone. And it's so funny now. They have algorithms to, to, you know, to reduce the the amount of people who can see it. And Google. You go, the difference between searching on Google and searching on DuckDuckGo, mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. I literally went to DuckDuckGo the other day and looked up uh, COVID vaccine side effects. I looked up the same search on Google completely different answers. Yeah. Right. And it's like, do you know my mother-in-law, totally separate again, but I'm just going to say this real quick. My mother-in-law <laughs> is an ad, has always been an advocate for the vaccine and has said, you know, make sure you guys get it. And now, do you know what she's saying now? Do not go get it. Ever since she got it, that literally uh, a week after she got the vaccination, she couldn't walk. It affected something in her leg. She's going to the hospital Monday to to have some studies done, but it was right after she had the vaccine. And so now she's like, please, you guys don't go get it Mm because we're healthy. So um, I have another story about that, actually. Uh, A friend of mine reached out to me the other day because I'm like a suit. I don't, I don't support big pharma i don't support the yeah. fda i'm definitely a contrarian you can call me a conspiracy theorist i'm wearing a tinfoil hat whatever call me whatever you want i don't care um a friend of mine reached out and she was actually paid out by VARES, the vaccine adverse reaction court and she was like um i had fl- the flu shot and i had guillain bar so she was 19 in college, playing soccer, super fit, doing CrossFit every day. She got the flu shot. She had Guillain-Barre. She lost her ability to walk. Half of her body went paralyzed. And she got a fat payout. But guess who pays for VAERS? Hmm. We do. Taxpayers. Mm-hmm. Great. So the pharmaceutical companies are allowed to make billions and billions of dollars but off we of American have to pay citizens. For the but we have to pay for the mistakes of no theirs. Mistakes yeah. that they make. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. The biggest thing for me, too, is like, 
with birth control and the FDA and the government and doctors, et cetera, whatever, um, it's just like the education that does not come with it. Like right. at no point in school does anybody talk about our periods or what that means, um, like what it is that we're supposed to do instead. And I will say that like my mom was not an advocate of birth control, so I didn't – I never went to – an OB or gynecologist in high school and they were like, oh yeah, just get on birth control and Mm -hmm. you'll be fine. I do remember my friends though doing that. Yeah. And their boobs got huge in high school. (laughs) I'm like, God, I'm so jealous. But, um, like what are we supposed to do instead? Yeah. Well, okay. Mr. Expert. Well, (laughs) we were actually talking about this on a brief little break that I have. And I think I mentioned this earlier while we were recording is that I have a 25 year old daughter who has been on birth control since she was 19 years old. I put her on the depo shot once I found out she was sexually active. And then, um, she did put on a ton of weight, um, after she went on that shot. So after about a year and a half, um, we put her on the, is it Moderna? Is that what you said? Morena. Morena. The IUD, the five year IUD. So I'm listening to all of this and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just freaking me out. What did I do to my kid? Right? Like I put her in harm's way and I'm not even an advocate of birth control because of the hormones and I know what it does. But yet at the same time, I have a daughter that I can tell you, but maybe not now, but the last seven years, she knows the history. Like there's no way that girl was going to be safe and make good choices. We would have four children right now. Right. Right. So... Uh, you say we because you would be raising them as well. <laughs> so yes. what, what do you do in situations like that? Like right. pe- when you have children maybe or um, even I have a disabled sister um, that we had to put her on birth control because, again, we, there might be multiple. Yeah, candy would be a different yeah. instance. So it's like what are the for sure. options when you've got individuals that might not control their – my gosh, I was a young mom. I had two kids by the time I was 20. So I'll throw myself in there. Clearly, I wasn't making good choices. Yeah. So what what do you do for teenagers and people who are not thinking? They're not making good, sound, rational choices for themselves because their their frontal lobe's not completely formed. Like exactly. They're, not, they're just not right. making good choices. Yeah. What are the options? Yeah, that that's a hard call. Um, you know, as in, like I was saying, I mean, I know... I, One of the things I tried to do was, you know, is I I laid out kind of my labels in the beginning of the book. Here's who I am. Yeah. And it's kind of, I I want you to know who I am and where I'm coming from. So it's like, if that has any influence on how you perceive what I'm saying, I want you to know ahead of time. I don't want you to read it, believe what I'm saying, and then find out something about me later and say, oh, that was his agenda. This is why he has a bias or whatever. So. One of the things I think I did that was probably a, a disservice to readers is uh, because I am Catholic, it's like, all right, I don't want to focus. All, and all, the other thing is I, I wasn't really offering, okay, here's what you can do is, instead. I don't sure. have a lot of solutions. I, I, I'm mostly trying to say – just be I, I aware. Want to, yeah, I want everybody to, you know, we, we talk about informed consent, thing, yes. but we're not being informed. So right. let's make sure people are really informed instead of having doctors like Dr. Rose say, well, this doesn't mean you should stop taking the pills. Like, no, how about you just tell me the facts and I'll decide if it means I right. should stop. You know, yeah. Right, That kind of thing. So that plus, I was afraid if I had too much about fertility awareness, it might look like, okay, this whole book is about trying to promote sure. that. And I didn't, I didn't want it to, yeah. to be that way at all. But we're asking. But, <laughs> but you're asking. And, and I was honestly, I was, it's another one of those things I was blown away by the number of women who contacted me afterwards and said, why don't you have more 
Well, and that it, was like one of the reviews on Amazon too. It was like, oh, well, this book just says all the things about birth control. It doesn't say what you're supposed to do instead. Yeah. Like yeah. women were pissed or something. <laughs> right. As if There's you're not a man. Like, yeah. We're just giving <laughs> yeah, you right. the information, dude. Right. Yeah. And, so, and so, yeah, and it's hard, you know, and, and, you know, it's like fertility awareness seems to be something that works for a lot more women than I realized it could. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you, I mean, you're talking about specific cir- circumstances where it's like, yeah, I, I mean, it, it does take work and it, and it does it's take... It's not easy right. for sure. And then I yeah. will say like, just in my own personal journey, like learning the difference between, like I talked to my cousins about it too, because we've all like been there where we were trying to have kids and stuff like that. And like noticing the different signs of that your body is giving you that mm-hmm. you didn't maybe didn't pay attention to before, or, right. you know, because you, you were ignorant to them before you didn't know what they were like cramping when you ovulate or the difference in uh, like water retention or weight retention when you're ovulating. But there's, um, because I am trying to get pregnant, there's uh, strips that will tell you when you're ovulating. Oh, okay. And natural family planning is similar to that. Like you can test when your ovulation, when you're in your ovulation window, there's period trackers that you could use that will predict when your ovulation window is. Um, But I think for the, like the questions that you're asking, like your sister and your daughter and stuff, I mean, with Kylie, you would definitely have to, she would have to know when she's ovulating. And that's, that is a learning curve. Like you, I, I had to test and I still test on when I'm in my ovulation days and when I'm peak fertile. Yeah. And for a lot of those women, because you don't know that sperm can last from three to five days. So, like, just because you didn't have sex when you were ovulating doesn't mean you can't get pregnant. Yeah. So, a lot of women who are in the Catholic community or in the crunchy community, they practice NFP, which is natural family planning, and they don't have sex for the week that they ovulate if they're not trying to get pregnant. Right. Just because they don't, it's not foolproof if you're, like, pulling out or whatever, yeah. you know. Right. But um, your body temperature changes slightly. You have cervical mucus where you can tell if your body is ovulating or not. And there's a different, there's disparity between your cervical mucus where you know the difference between if you're ovulating or not. Um, And then you can use ovulation tests, which is what I've done. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's not easy. Right. And it yes, takes some commitment. And birth control takes the guesswork out of it because if you're taking your birth control consistently or you're on an IUD, you don't have to worry about it. There are very few instances where women do get pregnant on birth control, which my grandmother used to make the joke all the time because she was a nurse. She's like, yeah, I've seen babies born with the IUD in their hand. Ha ha ha. But like that, that's not common. Yeah. Right. But I think if there was more education and I, I'll say for me too, I don't drink or use substances or whatever. So Anything that's happening with my body, I know like, oh, that feels different or I feel different today. It must be this. I must be ovulating. I do say, I will say when I'm ovulating, I'm way more like I am all over my husband, like all over all the time. And the pheromones that my body is releasing, he's more attracted to me when I'm ovulating, which is like biological. Like you can't really control that. But yeah, I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot to learn. It's a lot of things. And and since we haven't been educated on femininity or biology into that level it's like you you have to it's independent study yeah you have to teach yourself that stuff. i think the challenge yeah. that that all is wonderful awesome exciting um but that is also speaking for or it, it's a woman who is married who is right aware and conscious and capable disciplined dot 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 yeah that does not apply to, to the average you know 
teenager or um, maybe mentally challenged individual or something like that. So that I think is like, what in the world do you do? Because do you want to sign your kid up for breast cancer and bud clots and autoimmune disease? Right. What 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 is the answer? That is a challenge, and I'm not saying you have the answer. I know you don't have the answer because there isn't one. Sounds like, but. Yeah, I think, and that's kind of an indictment on the system as well. Uh, Betsy Hartman wrote a really good book called uh, Reproductive Rights and Wrongs. And she talks about, you know, how the system is a reproductive health that takes women's health uh, as as a kind of a driving force would look way different than what we have mm-hmm. because our system is set up to reduce population as quickly as possible. Yeah. And to hell with whoever it hurts, yeah. right? Um, so that's why there aren't a lot of options. The The whole thing is geared toward reducing population as fast as you can. And for me, that was, in in all of my research, that was probably my biggest aha moment mm-hmm. with, or, or epiphany or, or mind blow or whatever you want to call it, was reading the Nelson Pill hearings, which just I'm fascinated with. Uh, in 1970, Senator Gaylord Nelson held these hearings looking into whether the pill had even been proven safe. Um, and because he's also the father of Earth Day, he started Earth Day in 1970. He was, a, you know, a conservationist and cared about the Earth and was concerned about overpopulation himself. Right. I think a lot of these people felt comfortable talking to him about where they stood. It was kind of a weak, wink and a nudge as they testified. Yeah, okay. And so you have all of these doctors talking about how it's the first time in history that they shifted the benefit-to-risk paradigm to get this drug approved. You know, they had always looked at the benefit to risk for the patient. But in this case, they looked at the benefit to society versus the risk to the patient. And Senator Gaylord Nelson hated it. You know, at one point he stopped down the hearings and, and said, essentially said, I'm not comfortable with this. I'm not comfortable with the number of doctors I've spoken with who have taken it upon themselves to play big brother and say, we can't tell women about the side effects for fear they'll stop taking it. Yeah. Yeah. You know. That's right. You need to put, educate and let people make an educated assessment of what is right for them and what's not. Right. Just because you don't want people to not take it doesn't mean you don't tell them right. what's up. Well, and I think that if we educated women on all of this, right, from an early yeah. age, I think right. that probably 80 to 90 percent would not elect to take it. But they're still I, like, well, what am I supposed to do instead? Yeah. Right. I Listen, as a teen mom... You know, obviously, I don't want my kids to have to take something that's potentially life threatening. Yeah. Obviously. Right. But as a teen mom, I can tell you right now, I also didn't want my kids to be teen moms. Right. Right. That scared the ever loving crap out of me. That really did. I mean, it was a challenge. It was really hard. And then when you've got, you know, one daughter that struggles with um, depression and anxiety and and other issues, you're like, being a teen mom is, I mean, that's could be potentially life-threatening in another capacity. So it's like... But you have to weigh these things mm-hmm. because also... So here's... Like, we can't even get a good estimate in this country on how many women are taking birth control, right? You, you it's it, so it's many. Some, it's somewhere between 11 and 18 because uh, we don't have really good tracking systems and everything is so compartmentalized. They can't track, and, like, the prescriptions? Like, you know, because you the difference could, is like... But a, I don't think they want us to know. Because oh, right, then you right. can more, So, like, if you look at Danish studies, which I think are, are the best because they have national registries where they track all this stuff. So uh, there was a Danish study that came out, and I think it was 2017, that looked at over a million women. And they found that women who take birth control 
are 70% more likely to experience depression, and they're three times more likely to commit suicide. So, and, and this was something that came out in the Nelson Pill hearings in 1970 as well, that women who were on birth control were experiencing more depression, and the depression they were experiencing was more severe. Um, you know, so so that's something else we have to take into account. Yeah, you know, it's, for it's sure. not just physical health; it's mental health. Yeah, it's uh, everything. And I think that's and Barbara Seaman, who who wrote the book uh, "Doctor's Case Against the Pill," that was one of her things. She thought that it may actually be suicides that were creating more deaths among young women than breast cancer. She thought suicides and, yeah. and mental health may be the biggest risk. Well, For those of you who are listening, um, please like and subscribe. Uh, leave us a five-star review. Five stars only, please. Thank you. Um, if you want to find us, we are on every podcast platform, um, Spotify, I- iTunes, uh, and on YouTube for video. So, um, yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Bye. Bye.